Well, if you've got a Bible near you, open it up to Deuteronomy chapter 6 or pull out your phones. This is a good opportunity for you. It'd be helpful today. Even if you're not a regular, pull up the notes, note sheet. This would be a good day to have the note sheet pulled up for the stuff we're going to be plowing through. So you go to eaglechurch.com slash Sunday, and you'll see, eaglechurch.com slash Sunday, and you'll see you can pull it up on your phones there. You'll scroll down, and you can see the note sheet there. You can follow along that way. Welcome to everyone here in the room. Welcome to all those joining us online as well. Didn't Coach Reich do a great job last Sunday with his word to us? Wasn't that a, didn't he do an outstanding job? If you missed it, let me encourage you to go on our website and listen through it. It'll be a, definitely a, a worthwhile time. Coach talked about uh, we want to be committed to God's call sheet. Remember that? He brought up the, the call sheet. Many of you came up after service and you wanted to look at the details on the call sheet. And he said, this is God's call sheet right here, right? This is what we're going to be committed to. So if you want to know if you're newer to the Eagle family, say, what are we all about around here? When we get together on Sundays, we're committed to getting in God's call sheet together. Amen. And Coach Reich showed, uh, I was standing up here listening when one young man came up and wanted to dissect, you know, his, his call sheet, wanted a little insider information, I think, on NFL head coach world. And, and Frank said to him, he said, you know, young man, here's what you, you got to remember this. Um, you see this little number here, and he's pointed to this one column that translates to the quarterback's wristband. And he said, one thing we've learned through the years is you cannot make a clerical error right there. Track it? Because if, if you just one digit off right there, he calls a number and it's one digit off on that wristband. He, I said, what? I said, I jumped. I said, coach, what happens when that happens? He says, nothing good. That's what he said. <laughs> and so I thought about, you know, that's why we as a congregation, we've been spending 2021 as we turned the calendar into a new year. We said, you know what? We're going to spend the whole year together as a church reading through the Bible together, Genesis to Revelation. We're going to immerse ourselves in God's call sheet. And 250 of you jumped in. Are you still in? Encourage me. Say, yes, you're still in. So <laughs> you're still in. Many of you reading. We got, we're doing the one-year Bible reading plan. And if you want to jump in, even if you're newer and don't try to play catch-up, guilt-free, start today on today's date with us. And you can do that. You go to eaglechurch.com slash resources. You can join. You can, there's a place there to click, jump on the Bible reading plan. So 250 of us, we've just been immersing. And then on Sundays, we're just taking time and we're just taking little slices of where we're at in the story. And I felt this growing momentum since where we left Moses off at the end of Exodus that we continue to slog our way through Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and there was a lot of, you know, hey, Pastor Eric, when are you going to step in and talk about some of that? What do we do with that section of the, the Bible? So this is this morning, because we left Moses off at the end of Exodus, before we hit Easter, and then coach last weekend in Exodus 33, and he is at Mount Sinai. And just to give you a little framework where we are in the story, right? The Israelites have come up out of Egypt, and God is taking them to the promised land, about 400-mile journey. Well, while he's taking them there, he isn't just getting them from Egypt to the promised land. He's concerned about the kind of people they'll be on the way, who they're going to be when they get there. And so, in your Bibles, if you look at the section in your notes, so from Exodus 20, you might want to jot this down, Exodus 20 to Numbers 10. Exodus 20 to Numbers 10 is one year at Mount Sinai. So the Israelites and Moses are in the same spot 
at Sinai for one year. Some of you felt like that was your last month, okay? You felt like you were at Sinai for one year because he's just giving them the law. He's explaining to them how he wants them to relate. We'll get into that a little bit more in a moment, but he's got a lot of details, a lot of information, and they're just camped out there all the way through. End of Exodus, Leviticus, all the way to Numbers 10 at Sinai for one year. And we read lines like, don't cook a young goat in its mother's milk. You go, what? What is that? Don't plow with an ox and a donkey yoked together. Don't wear clothes of wool and linen woven together. We were all these laws and all these places where you go, what? What do we do with that? And sometimes, if you're honest, you just kind of skim a little through those sections. Or maybe that's just me who does that periodically where I just go, oh, Lord, I don't know what to do with this. So, here, I'm going to give you three things to navigate. What do we do with that big chunk in our Old Testament? It's called the Old Testament law. And we hit these places where you just kind of scratch your head and it's the, what, are we, what do we do with that verse? Three, three thoughts. I put them in your notes. The first one, very helpful to remember this. Number one, the Bible was written for us, but not to us. This God-breathed book inspired completely. These are God's words intended for all people at all time. We have in our hands exactly what God wanted us to have in our hands for our, all people for all time. But this isn't just one book. This is actually 66 books compiled into one. And if you haven't noticed, different books with different genres of literature. You've got poetry in here. You've got historical narrative in here. You've got apocalyptic literature in here. And this explains why when you're cruising your way through the Bible, you go, man, this is kind of complicated and it's not the easiest thing to just pick up. This isn't just like scrolling through a news feed or an Instagram post. This isn't that kind of reading, right? It's going to require a little more engagement and thoughtfulness to navigate. And one of the first principles is to understand the Bible was written for us, but not to us. So, in Exodus, from Exodus 20 to Numbers 10, that whole section was written to the Israelite people who were journeying from Egypt to the promised land. It was written to them. They were a people who had been enslaved for 400 years. They were trying to figure out how to be a nation together. Remember, God had said, you're going to be my people, and I'm creating you to be a nation. You're going to have a home someday. He's working with them. He's forming a people and a nation and a group. He's writing it to them. So 3,500 years ago, if you were an Israelite on that journey with Moses, and you would have heard him say, don't cook a goat in, a young, in, in its mother's milk, you'd say, that makes complete sense. Why? Because 3,500 years ago, there's a group of people called the Canaanites who had religious practices of which one of them was a worship to the fertility god where they would boil the young goat in its mother's milk as an offering to the fertility god. So if you're an Israelite in that setting at that time and you heard that command, you'd immediately process it this way. Our God is not like the Canaanite God. He doesn't want to be worshipped like they worship. We're not going to appease a bunch of gods and goddesses. Yahweh is calling us out to be distinct from them. You tracking with me? 
So that's why it's important. Second principle, so you go, okay, it's, not ri- it's written for us, but not to us. So you ask this question. Number two, we ask the question, how would the original audience at that time in that setting have understood the words and the commands and the laws? That's important. So how would, if you were 3,500 years ago on the journey from Egypt to the promised land with Moses, how would you have understood words like, well, don't yoke together a donkey and an ox and have them run the field together. Say, what's up with that? Don't weave these threads of linen together and have clothes. Like, why is that so important? Again, the people in that day would have said, oh, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, all these ites that God lists in the land. You know what a common practice amongst all those ites were? They would mix together lots of ingredients for their worship rituals. That would be a very common thing. So again, God's calling his people out. The Bible word for it is he's calling them to be a holy or set apart people. I want you to be distinct from all the other ites in the land. Remember what Moses prayed? If you don't go with us, we're just going to be one more ite. It's going to be the Hivites, Jebusites, Canaanites, and Israelites. No, the Israelites are going to be distinct from how? Because your God is not like their God. So your worship practices are not going to look like their worship practices. So don't mix the seeds in the ground, don't mix the threads in the clothing, and don't mix the animals in the field. And we look at it, 3,500 years later and go, that just sounds so obscure. But if you were in their shoes, in that setting, at that time, in your mind, you would be like, this is God bringing a distinction, a declaration of holiness, of set apartness. Are you tracking with me? Am I losing anybody yet? Stay with me here. I'm going I'm, I'm to let you come up for air in just a minute here, okay? So, Three categories, I put in your notes, important, three categories of laws that they were working through. So Moses is imparting not just the Ten Commandments, the moral law, he's giving them ceremonial law, religious festivals and feasts, civil law, because they're creating a nation. He's saying, well, when you guys are in conflict with each other and somebody steals something or somebody murders someone, like he's giving them civil law, like how they're to have penalties and deal with uh, when they hurt each other. And then there's moral law which is the Ten Commandments. So ceremonial and civil law, those are not applicable to us today on this side of the cross and the empty tomb. But the moral law continues. Very helpful to understand when you're going through it. You got to have a filter. Ceremonial law, civil law, moral law. And clearly, mixing of animals in the field, threads in the clothing, seeds in the ground, that had to do with ceremonial laws. And then the civil laws. But then when you get to the moral laws, third principle here that we're going to run through. The third principle is you run it through the Jesus filter. So you remember, the Bible's not written, it's not written to us, it's written for us, okay? Secondly, you ask, what's the original group of people at that time in that setting? How would they have heard and understood these words? And then thirdly, you run it through the Jesus filter and you look to the New Testament and you say, how did Jesus uh, respond or interact with any of these sections of Scripture, because it's clear with Jesus he believed all the Old Testament to be God's inspired word, 100%. But he wasn't applying, don't cook a goat in its mother's milk. He wasn't applying that today because he knows that was for that period of time at that setting with that group of people. And so, a couple of helpful resources I put in your notes. This is, a, I think, probably one of the easiest reads, most accessible reads I've come across. Here's a picture of the book cover. I've just been reading it over the last 30 days or so. I wish I would have had it 10 years ago. Dan Kimball wrote it. It's called How Not to Read the Bible. Do you see that? 
what do you do with like the, you know, the anti-women, pro-violence, all this stuff, issues in the Bible, you just go, what do we do with that sections of Scripture? Excellent resource, well-written, easily accessible, I commend it to you. So get your hands on that, start plowing in that. Secondly, we've got an amazing resource on our church staff named Julia Davis. Have a conversation with Julia, all right? Julia is a reservoir of Old Testament wisdom. You can take all of your complicated and difficult questions to her, and she'll have some very insightful things to say. Not saying that she has all the answers, but I think she has really good perspective. So, Julia, you're welcome. So, there you go. So, that book and Julia as a resource. But the overarching principle here is, look, gang, we can't just pick this book up and just casually approach. It's going to require a level of cerebral engagement to think about what we're reading. And I would say it's worth it because this is God's revelation. If the God who made this world and everything in it says, I'm going to reveal to you who I am and how you live this life with me, I would say that's worth time and attention. And so that's why, as a church, that's why we're working in this space. That's why we're taking deeper dives on Sunday morning. That's why we're encouraging you to take some time during the week. And even when you hit those sections where you're not sure what's going on, you keep immersing yourself. Genesis to Revelation, it's God's call sheet. It's important enough. We can't get the wristband numbers a clerical error. It's too important. Are you with me? And so here's where we are in the story. We've come now to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy means second time, which somebody goes, well, that makes a ton of sense. I felt like I read everything in Deuteronomy that I just read before. Was anybody else frustrated with that? You're like, didn't we just read that or hear that? Deuteronomy, second time or second law. And so Moses now is 120 years old in the book of Deuteronomy. So you've got Numbers or Exodus 20 through Numbers 10. They're one year at Mount Sinai. From Numbers 10 through De- or Numbers 11 through Deuteronomy 1 covers 40 years in the desert. Numbers 11 to Deuteronomy chapter 1, 40 years. Desert wanderings. You say, well, why are they wandering around the desert for 40 years? You read through it. Because when Moses sent the spies to go check out the land to get a report of how to go in, what did the people say? We don't want to go. Caleb and Joshua said, go. God's with us. We can go. They were intimidated by all the ites. Remember the Anakites? They were like huge, thick pieces of humanity. And they're like, those guys are just going to wipe us out. We're not going. We're scared. God was upset. So God said, okay, here's what you guys want to stay. We're going to stay in the desert 40 years. That's the lifespan. Around 40 years, a generation is going to die. You're going to be out here 40 years. Let all that generation die. And then Moses, you're going to hand the baton to Joshua and Caleb, and they're going to go into the promised land. That's Numbers 11 through Deuteronomy 1. That's the 40 years. Very helpful to understand when you hit that section. And so in Deuteronomy, Moses is now 120. Remember, he's 80 at the burning bush. So God calls him at 80. And he spends the good chunk of his life wandering in the burning sand, lest you want to like sign up for spiritual leadership any day. So like, there you go. How about that for, there's your assignment from 80 to 120, you're basically going to handle him in the burning sand and dealing with all that that brought. And now he's coming to the end of his life. He's 120. He knows he's about to take his last breath. And so he gets the people together. Most of the generation has died, just Caleb and Joshua remain, and he gets this new generation together, and he's going to give his final words, the book of Deuteronomy, three big sermons in the book. 
It's his parting words to the new generation to don't repeat the errors of the previous generation. So he keeps kind of beating on certain themes. So Deuteronomy 1 to 4, he says, historical recap. So he like says, how did we get here? Which is important, right? Because we tend to edit history. We tend to be selective in our recall, which isn't a pretty important commentary for us as a nation right now is, I think really good leadership would be, hey, we ought to pause and step back and say, how did we get here? We ought to think back. Like, we ought to have someone to just say, how did we get to where we are and what did we learn from? How did we get to where we are and could that inform perhaps how we go forward? That's what Moses is trying to do. How did we get here? And then Deuteronomy chapter 5, he gives the Ten Commandments all over again. You're like, didn't we just read those? Remember Deuteronomy, second time, second law. And then Deuteronomy 6, which is where we'll anchor for the remaining part of our time today. Deuteronomy 6, verse 1. He says this, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. To which all the young people at that time probably went, oh my gosh, he's going to go through all those commands and laws again because they were, right, they were probably pretty young when they were going through it the first time and now he's got, we're going through it again because we tend to edit history, we tend to forget, we tend to be in our human condition, we need to be reminded frequently all these things. And then he comes to verse 4, some of the most quoted words in the Old Testament. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. In your Bibles, write this phrase by that section, the Shema, S-H-E-M-A, the Shema. Say Shema. The Shema, it means in Hebrew, the first word of verse 4. It means hear. It means listen. It's the Hebrew word for, for listen. Hey, wake up. Tune in. Hear, O Israel. The Shema. It was like, it was some of the first verses that a Jewish child would learn. Think of it like the Jewish Pledge of Allegiance. Much like Christians today treat the Lord's Prayer in some faith traditions, where you just kind of frequently repeat the Lord's Prayer in different settings. For a Jewish child growing up, it would be the Shema, which helps you understand, fast forward to New Testament, when Jesus was confronted, right, some guy rolling up to him say, hey, I want you to net down all the big, thick parts of the Old Testament. Boil it down for me. Remember that? I want the cliff notes. What did Jesus respond with? The Shema. And he added, love your neighbor as yourself. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The Shema plus flowing it out to your neighbor. So Jesus, because Jesus most mornings and most evenings would have repeated the Shema. And so there are two aspects of it here that I want you to see. We're going to spend some time on. Notice the first part of the Shema reveals the nature of God. The Lord is one. So why is that so important? Well, put yourself in the shoes of the, pe- the Israelite people. Where have they come from? 400 years in Egypt. Where are they going? The land filled with the Canaanites. What's common with the Egyptians and the Canaanites is a polytheistic. They worshiped hundreds and hundreds of gods and goddesses. So there was all these gods and goddesses in the land. And here's God saying to his people, I'm going to call you to understand that a revelation of who I am is I'm one. Yahweh is not the many, is not the polytheistic picture that you've come from Egypt and that you're going to the land of Canaan. It would be very important for them to grasp that. And like Tozer I love Tozer, and he said it this way, the most important thing about us is what we think about God. So we got to think rightly about God. 
So the Shema grounds them in who, who God is. And I wonder today if that's some of our struggle as a culture. When you look at like, do we just get to decide who God is in our own? Like, are we the center of this? We kind of create God in our own image these days. We just kind of decide this is the God we want to set up and worship. And this is, we kind of, we draw the boxes, we draw the boundaries. That's not the God that this Bible reveals. The Bible says in the beginning God, and then God reveals himself to us, and we're made in his image, the Imago Dei. He's not made in ours. That's a big difference. And so God's the great beginner from which everything gets its beginning. And that's a little different than your latest TikTok theologian or YouTube follower with millions of whatever, ranting on Instagram about what's dysfunctional about religion. There's plenty of things messed up about religion, 100%, but here's what we have to be careful of. We can't judge Yahweh based upon abuses done in His name. And that's what's going on today. I think half in America today, we're like, toss out Jesus because of all this abuse done in his name. How about let's get to know him for who he's revealed himself to be? And then you make your discernment and judgment. That's, I think, important. This is the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Shema, theology matters. What you think about God matters. The Shema matters. This isn't just, well, that's nice, Moses. We really appreciate that input. No, Moses knows you've got to get this anchored because where you've come from and where you're going, you're going to get distracted and derailed into a lot of things. And I wonder today, right? As a country, as a nation, as a church, we got to get clear on the nature of God. Who is He? What is he about? Who is his character? What has he called us to be about? That's important. Again, why we're going to ground ourselves here. We're going to say, well, the Bible says, actually, I don't get to decide that. Like, God didn't leave that up to humanity, which is pretty tough for North Americans because we want to, like, decide everything, you know, and vote everyone off whatever island they're on. And, like, God says, hey, I'm going to, the revelation of God, God's a I'm the fixed. I'm the starting point. I'm the center. That's God. You're not the starting point. You're not the center. You don't get to decide. You're not the judge and jury over this humanity. You get to receive a revelation about who I am. And I would argue that's really central to understanding what it means to be a person. The more clearly you get to know who God is, the more clearly you get to know who you are. Because we're made in His image. He's not made in ours. And I think we need a little more dialogue going on about that in our university settings today. Because we've got a lot of confusion about personhood, and I think it starts because we've missed the starting point of what it means to be a person. God. The Lord our God. The Lord is one. The nature of God. The Shema. It's going to require a mental engagement. We've got to engage our minds. Young people, you've got to think this through. Just because you're going to some class and some professor's got all kinds of letters by his name, it doesn't mean wisdom. It just means he spent a lot of money getting a lot of academic training. Now, he may be wisdom. I'm not saying they're all not wise, but listen, young people, apply, work, think. Theology matters. What you say about God matters. How you live your life in light of that matters. Challenge, wrestle, discern. That's the Shema, the nature of God. And then in light of that, because Moses doesn't want us just drifting off to the latest TikTok this and Instagram that and YouTube this, like there's plenty of chatter going on in the world about all this stuff, theology and God. God. Be clear, God's revealed who He is, and now in light of who He is, 
second part of the Shema is the expectation of God. In light of the nature of God, He's got some expectations for in light of who He is, how, how we live in response to Him. And what does He say? Based on who He is and all He's done, He's requiring an all-in response. Did you see that? Like, love the Lord your God. What's the repeated word there in that verse? With all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. In Hebrew, it's the word kol. Say kol. So, kol means an entirety of being. It's an all-encompassing nature. I don't know about you, but I, I love to run into a young couple who's just kind of recently started dating, and there's this kind of all-consuming thing happening in their relationship. And so, I love this part when, the, you know, the guy will say to me, oh, I met so-and-so, and we're celebrating our one-month anniversary. I thought, oh, boy. And it's like, got this great thing planned, dinner and flowers and all this stuff. And I see him later, he's got, we're celebrating our two-month anniversary. And I'm saying to myself, buddy, you're setting yourself up for, there ain't no way you're maintaining this, Right? But there's something in that, right? There's this, there's this momentum of this all-encompassing love. Well, when the Bible talks about love towards God, it moves us beyond an emotional feeling, and it moves us to sacrificial action. That's what love is. In the Bible, when you see loving God, you need to put this, loving God equals obeying God. That's what the Bible says. This is what God reveals. If you want to love God, you obey God. Those two go together. And this is what Moses, I mean, he just beats this drum. He's got a whole choir and band set up on this point. He's just going to keep hitting it over and over. And I put just a few of them in your notes. I'm going to hit them quickly here. Deuteronomy 10, Moses says, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? Fear the Lord. Walk in, what does it say? Obedience to Him. Deuteronomy 11:22. if you carefully observe all these commands I'm giving you to follow, love the Lord your God. Walk in, what? obedience to Him. Deuteronomy 19, because you carefully follow all these laws, I command you today, love the Lord your God. Walk always in obedience to Him. Now, lest you think this is just a Moses thing and an Israelite thing, Jesus picks up on this thing. Look what He says, John 14, 15, run it through the Jesus filter. What does He say? If you love me, you'll what? Keep my commands. And then verse 23, what does He say? John 14, 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Do you see that? So, for Moses and for Jesus, there's something about the nature of God. When you get a vision for who God is and you understand all that He's done, like God as manifested in Jesus, He's an all-in God. Did Jesus give His all for us? He, he went all the way for us. So, God says in response in the Shema, when you see this is who God is in Jesus, then your response is, the expectation is, it's an all-in response. No lukewarmness, no half-heartedness in the Shema. Do you see that? Which Moses dealt with a fair amount of lukewarmness and half-heartedness when they got to the edge of the land, and they're like, no, we're out, tapped out, and they're going back. And I mean, he was just always dealing with them. He's like, no, the expectation is Kol, K-O-L. It's like there's an entirety of being. There's a wholeness in this relationship that God wants our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole strength. He wants all of us in this part. Do you see that? There's this entirety in this relationship when you get a vision of who God is and then an expectation for how He wants us to respond. Now, somebody's thinking right now, well, Simpson, that, that bar's just way too high. Like that bar's just way too high. And you know what Jesus says? 100%. He agrees. Here's what God knew. God, God set the bar. God set the bar at all in because He's all in by nature. 
Like the bar is perfection, righteousness, holiness. That's the standard. Here's what else God knew about humanity. We wouldn't hit the bar. Which is why your Old Testament is filled with all that ceremonial law. What do you think the sacrificial system was set up for? He established the bar. You got to be all in based on who I am. No half-heartedness, no lukewarmness. And then he knew we wouldn't hit the bar. We'd fall short. So stay with me here. This is why God says, I want you to look not to your obedience, but I want you to look to my sacrificial atonement that I provide for where you fall short. And do you see then all those ceremonial laws, all those goats and rams and bulls and blood. They had so much blood in the Old Testament altars, they built channels at the altar of the Old Testament to channel the blood away to the valleys because they said the priests would be standing in gallons and gallons of animal blood. What is all that laying the groundwork for? It's all setting up in the language of the book of Hebrews. What does it say? When Christ comes, when he came, he's our once for what? All sacrifice. All that groundwork back in the Old Testament, all the ceremonial law, it was all setting up this reality that we still live in today. We see the bar, we see the mark, we see the target, and in our humanity, we fall short. That's every Tuesday for me. Like, I fall short. Seeing who God is, seeing what he's asking, I just, I just fall short. I'm not perfect. I don't, I don't always measure up. And, and God says, I know, I understand, I'm going to make a way. Just like in the Old Testament, they had to have all those blood of those animals to try to atone for their sin. He wanted them to look, oh, he wanted them to, look to the atonement he provided for their sin. And now on this side of the cross in the empty tomb, coming off of Easter weekend, we say, now we know. The question isn't whether we're going to sin. That's crystal clear, right? That's clear. Whether we're going to sin isn't the question. What we do with our sin, that's the core question. And Jesus says, you bring your sin to my atoning sacrifice, and I'll bring my healing grace to you. Church, do you see that? How beautiful is that? That's the gospel. The Shema sets up the gospel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Who are you as revealed in Jesus? And you're to love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And Jesus grabs onto that thing. He says, what's the greatest commandment? That's it. Love God and love people and be all in with it. That's the bar. And you're going to fall short. And I go to the cross and I shed my blood and I rise from the dead. And now you don't look to your obedience that's fickle and goes like this through the wind and waves, you look to my atoning sacrifice. Jesus lived the Shema life perfectly and says, I'll apply that to you. That's the gospel, church. And how beautiful is that? I like what Augustine said. I put this quote in your notes too. God, command whatever you wish and provide for whatever you command. That's our God. Deuteronomy 6 is the command. It's the Shema. It's a call to all-in relationship. It's a call to abandon half-heartedness and lukewarmness. It's a call to look to Christ and His atoning sacrifice for all the ways we fall short. It's a call to see the revelation of who God is in Jesus and an expectation that we respond to Him in love that's beyond an emotional feeling that moves to sacrificial action. Worship team, why don't you come back up? I want to put a picture up here, kind of draw things to a close. 
This past week, we lost a member of our church family. Here's a picture of Mike and Sally Garrett. Garrett family is here today. Love you, Garrett family. They're here about three quarters of the way back. And Mike and Sally were married for 57 years. Sally passed away a week ago Saturday in the late afternoon. And their kids, Mike Jr. and Peg and Lori and Matt and all the other ripple effect from Garrett's. I was asking Mike Jr., I said, how long have you been kind of connected? Eagle? He says 10 plus years. So many of you would have known, recognized. I know you only get to see the top third of faces these days, but you'll recognize the Garrett's that way. And this past Thursday, we all got together, uh, Simplicity Funeral Home, and Wednesday night, long line of people came to share stories, Sally and the impact that she had, a life that lead 57 years of marriage, four children, 14 grandchildren, four great-grandchildren, two here and two on the way. I mean, just an amazing life. And we had an amazing gathering on Thursday morning, and Matt did an outstanding job speaking on behalf of the kids, and then all those grandkids stood up there. And Mike, I don't think you're ever going to forget that image anytime soon, right, brother? Those 14 grandchildren just standing there in front of their grandmother's casket. And what did they talk about? They didn't talk about all the accomplishments, though she accomplished a lot of things. I said, I don't know when the woman slept. She served and helped so many people. They talked about the kind of person that she was. They talked about what she stood for and the way she cared and loved and sacrificed and gave. And We listened to songs. We read scripture. I shared a few words about what Jesus would want us uh, to reflect on, but probably one of the things that stood out to me the most from the whole week, from sitting with them on Monday in their Mike and Sally's living room, Matt, when Matt was asked to summarize one of the sons, when he was asked to summarize his mom, here's what he said, quote, my mom has an endless capacity to love. Wow. Of course, the more you got to know Sally, if you spent any time with her, you'd recognize that Her endless capacity love flowed out of her deep and personal and intimate relationship with the God she knew so well that came to her in Jesus and poured out his love into her heart. And her life became not like like just a, a reservoir that stopped. It became a funnel that flowed through. God poured out his love in Christ in her and she just poured it out to her family, to her friends, to the people in the community, to her neighbors. She just poured it out. And you know, Garrett family, I can't think of a more inspiring, meaningful legacy to leave than that bar. It's a Shema love that Sally Garrett left, a vision. What does it mean to live? Certainly not perfectly. Sally would be the first one to tell you, hey, there's a lot of places that she didn't hit the bar, but here's what she knew. She knew Christ, Jesus. She just clung to him. And I thought, you drive away from those settings and you hang out with a family like this and you reflect on moments like that. Church, every single one of us is going to get to the end of the run someday. There's going to be some gathering. And when the group gets together and they put together a memorial, what are they going to say?
I think Deuteronomy 6 says it most succinctly. I think it'd be really, really important to see the legacy is it's God. Love the Lord your God. Did you love God with all you've got? And then did you love people out of that love that God poured in your heart? That's a Shema legacy. Let's pray. And so, Father, conscious this morning that as we think about all that you've done for us in Jesus and we think about all the ways we fall short, maybe there's someone here who's yet to just say, you know what, I'm going to lay down my self-improvement plan or I'm going to lay down trying to just white-knuckle it through this life and I'm going to turn to Christ and I, I need Jesus. You can just turn to him right now. You say, Jesus, save me. Forgive me. I know I fall short. I know I'm a mess. I need you. You are the great God. In the beginning, God, it all starts with you. It all ends with you. At the end of the day, that's the only thing that's going to matter. At the end of Sally Garrett's life, who was there? Jesus was there. When she drew her last breath, Jesus was there. Same can be said for you. You just got to say, Jesus, save me. Fill me with your spirit. I confess my sin. I want to live for you. And then maybe there's some who, you remember praying that prayer and you remember walking closely with the Lord in some other days of your life, but if you were on it, you just feel like you've drifted a long way, got distracted. Maybe the stuff of this past year plus has just weighed so heavy, you're just a long ways away from where you know the Lord wants you to be right now. Just come back. Just work the muscle of coming back and say, Jesus, I want to come back. Here I am. Take me, lead me, fill me. I want to live in that union with you, that everydayness with you. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you're worthy, Lord. All of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we want to love you with all that we are. Pour it out into our hearts that we might turn around and pour it out into a world that's so broken and in need. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.